Lin Yap is the author of The Altruistic Capitalist. Lin has taken companies such as Facebook public on Wall Street and has worked on innovation strategies with consumer companies. This episode, you'll learn how to approach business from an ethical stance so that you can do well by doing good. So I think capitalism, like technology and religion, is just a platform. It is how we use it, really, for our own purposes and intentions. Mm. So I think capitalism, to a certain extent, and is quite good to promote competition, to promote healthy competition, and to a way to regulate market forces of supply and demand, and also promotes innovation. So I, I think capitalism is is not bad per se. Taken to extreme, it has led to some short-term thinking, so the destruction of um, or, or the devastation of resources and the environment. To focus too much on on short-term profits. How can we get the share prices to be propped up? I think things like that have led to the majority of people in the community to distrust big business, particularly uh, and big tech in particular, and that's just quite unfortunate the way that that has um, come to this. But, but capitalism per se, I don't think it's as a as a tool, as a vehicle, it's not as a platform, it's not bad. Just like religion is not bad. It's what people use it for. <laughs> yeah, because I've always seen it that, you know, you look at all the other kinds of social structures you can have. And, you know, for just simplicity, the, the complete opposite, communism. Communism in practice has never worked in any society. <laughs> it's always like, oh, yeah, yeah, everything for everybody. But it's always like, no, it's just a different form of capitalism where there's no social mobility. And yeah. the way that I've always viewed it is capitalism allows people to start from nothing and get to something or at least have the opportunity to whereas other social structures yeah. don't allow for that so much yeah I, I agree i agree completely sam and I, I think if we allow it to do its thing it it should work out that way mm. but what happens is governments will sometimes come in and trying to protect the local products for instance um just had a conversation the other day it was like well, uh, when governments come in to, you know, only encourage people to use to consume local products from local farms and tax all the uh, all the products that are being imported in from other countries, yeah. is that good or bad? I mean, that that messes up with the with the whole capitalist system, mm. but which which. I, I'm not sh so. This one's a little one that I'm not quite sure of. It's a little bit of a gray area. It's the intention is to to encourage people to buy local yeah. and to reduce the carbon footprint. Yeah. But on the other hand, it messes up the the whole capitalist equilibrium yeah. balancing uh, market forces um, system because if you can take it to extreme, it it becomes overly protectionist. And then it makes things less competitive. So you, in the end, the local producers, well, I, we don't have to try very hard anyway. We can just give you whatever it is and you're forced to take our products because the the stuff that's coming from outside becomes too, uh, becomes too expensive. Nobody's going to buy that anyway. So you're forced to take the lower quality local product. Yeah. And, that's, and that's just playing it out to extreme. So that's why such measures that, that governments put, um, that, 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 that governments have to play around to manipulate the market forces mm. i'm not quite sure however well intentioned it is yeah so does that yeah. does that make sense it does make <laughs> I'm sense sorry if i'm rattling i'm sorry if i'm rattling on too much no no oh, you have to rattle tell me on. stop lynn no nah, nah, you're stop. good rattle on that's that's the kind of stuff we need to be honest but so okay when governments kind of 
interject into capitalism you kind of say that's where it messes things up but one thing i've kind of noticed the more i've paid attention to economic systems and stuff like that is that if you were to say all right cool we're going to make everything in this country the price just just instantly goes up because no one wants to work for 5p a day 10p a day but when you do conversion rates into other currencies 5p a day and 10p a day can be okay ish but now I feel like with the internet as well, there's a lot of this kind of arbitrage of what is a fair amount to pay someone abroad. Because there's a lot of people I know that have mm. labor forces in places like the Philippines. And they go, oh, we do because mm. it it's so much cheaper. But it's like, okay, say mm -hmm. it's five times cheaper. Why don't you pay them, you know, two times less than you'd pay someone over here. And then you're paying them mm. an amazing salary. And you can get the best mm. quality over there. And I feel mm -hmm. like that, that it's a bit of a weird one to say, but there's definitely going to be a tipping point where people mm. that are operating in that way of manipulating labor and the people that are pro paying people or pro supporting people in the right financial means, that will kind of come to a head and people will have to kind of move in a more, I don't know if I'm using this word in the right way, but I want to use the word because it's already here, a more altruistic way. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so that one is a, that one I, I do not have uh well form opinion of how we should deal with that yeah um dealing with labor across different different markets that have differing living standards and, and living wages yeah um that's the same even within a, the, the same country for mm. instance in in the u.s we have with the pandemic we have people leaving cities like new york to go to to texas because it's so much cheaper you can get so much more for your money or your dollars stretch so much further mm. um but sh so should that person's salary be reduced just because um they have now um their cost of rent has suddenly dropped to 30 percent of what it used to be mm. um but the value of the work that i'm delivering leaving new york to choose to go to to texas the value of my work hasn't changed so mm. should i be penalized should i be um should I should I be penalized for where I, I live or not? Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm not quite sure what the answer is. And I think um, the jury is still out on that in terms of the companies as well. Some companies, mm. um, and I'm blanking on which ones at the moment, some companies have said, doesn't matter where you live, um, we will pay you the same wage. So you can be living in India uh, and we'll pay you the same as if you're living in the Bay Area in San Francisco, yeah. because we are compensating you on the work you deliver. Mm. And then the other companies that say, well, if you're going to choose to live in this place, we want to make sure that all employees have an equal standard of living. So right. if you're going to if you're going to live in a more expensive area, your salary should be should be adjusted based on the living expenses there, yeah. and, and so that your your colleague who's living in, say, Texas will have a lower salary so that you have similar living standards doing the same kind of work. Mm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm not sure what's the, I'm not sure what's the right answer, really. That's quite a difficult one. Yeah. Um, because uh, equity is very different from equality. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. You want to be equitable, but we, we, can't be equal yeah. because we are different. We have different life situations and different choices and we make different choices. So it's it, uh, being equitable is, is a difficult one to achieve. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you, because I, I, I'm quite curious about this, is can you break down the title of why your book is called Altruist, 
altruistic capitalism. Well, sorry, let me get it right. <laughs> Can you break down the title of why your book is called Altruistic Capitalist? Because those two words don't really go together. So this is like a new modern way of thinking. Indeed, Sam. Um, so I chose the word altruistic capitalism um, because they are by um, generally how people see them as, as opposites. Mm. Capitalism is seen as very self-serving at the moment. Um, and so, you know, people have a big distress of, of uh, big corporations, big tech, um, and because they see corporations as being self-serving, looking only towards the bottom line. Mm. And altruism is a complete opposite of that. It is looking towards others, towards the outside and being less self-serving. Yeah. Um, so it was the title was meant to be provocative. Mm -hmm. And I think the way forward for business is to to look at all the different stakeholders of the business, not, not just outside, but I mean, there, there is a need to take care of yourself in business as well. The, the company, business leaders still need to make sure that you're financially disciplined, um, you, you still grow the bottom line, you still grow the top line, but in a sustainable fashion. Because if you don't have a sustainable business, then you are not able to create po positive impact. You're not able to regenerate the economy, regenerate the, the environment. You need all of that in order to create a positive impact. Yeah. And so how can a company like, I'm not sure whether or not this is something you'd know, but it's something I want to ask. How can a company that's like a, a SaaS based company create a positive impact when all they're doing realistically is burning fossil fuels or, you know, using electricity to power something that goes into a computer? Like they're not actively going out and chopping down trees like say Ikea is, but they're still having a, a, a you know, a negative environmental impact as opposed to a positive one. How can they become more sustainable i mean i'm not an expert on on SaaS businesses per se yeah um i think i mean this is how i would approach it i would look inside to see what is the purpose behind why i'm doing this business it can't just be i want to be i want to earn x dollars uh, i want to be so rich and i want to be the biggest in the market mm. i think in order to drive and motivate employees and the team and even yourself as a, as a leader of the business i would need to a little bit more than that than just growing the the business another x percent year on year yeah um what is the motivation what are the values that drive us mm. and in terms of carbon footprint uh, there are different ways in which businesses can reduce their carbon emissions and carbon footprint um uh, uh today and and that I mean, I'm not I'm not an environmental expert by no means, mm. but there are ways in which people can can do that. You can do that through partnerships, um, and yeah, it's just it's just about looking at your entire supply chain and your entire business of operations um, uh, to see how it is that you can, I guess, regenerate the economy and not and not be and just not consume every or all, all available resources. Yeah. So so when you were taking I don't know what companies it was, but when you were taking companies public, is this the kind of criteria you'd look at when doing that? <laughs> when I was uh, working in investment banking and taking companies public. And so uh, the last deal that I did was Facebook and that was the largest deal at that point in time. Yeah. Um, just after the fi last financial crisis of 2008, that was not part of the criteria. Um, people, 
investors were just looking purely at the bottom line. Mm. What, how, how fast is the company growing? And I was focused very much on, on tech startups. Mm. So we're looking at how quickly the companies were growing, how quickly they were getting to profitability, um, how quickly they could increase their profitability, how many users were they growing. So there was not a lot of thought in terms beyond the, let's say, three to five year time horizon. Mm. Um, there was not a lot of thought in terms of, okay, what legacy are you leaving behind? What is what is the impact you're creating on your employees, the environment, your supply chain? How are you actually helping to make lives better for mm. the stakeholders around you? It was very much focused on on the financial statements. But that is how the that is at that point in time, um, let's call it now 10 years ago, yeah. uh, how investors would be looking at it. Yeah. But in the last 12 to 18 months, um, the amount of investors, the amount of money that has gone into impact investing, so that's um, public and private funds mm. that are focused on environment, um, mm -hmm. sustainability, and governance. The money has, that has gone into that, that has been invested into the, these, these areas, have um have grown exponentially. Yeah. And so investors, and that's institutional investors, but that's also in individual investors like ourselves, mm -hmm. um, who are interested to focus, to invest, to park our money, to save our money and to grow our money in companies and businesses that take care of the environment, uh, that create a positive impact on their communities, that have governing structures in their in their companies in their businesses to ensure that certain levels and certain standards of ethics are followed hmm. and i think that's really important now not just for investors but us as consumers people have more awareness and consciousness in terms of where do our products come from yeah. uh, how is this impacting the community um that the, the farmers who are producing our food, for instance, is this made in a factory that is environmentally friendly? So I think we as investors, as consumers are more aware mm. of the power that we have as individuals to make a difference and to make a statement. So what was that moment where you kind of were, you know, high flying, big tech, going public, <laughs> Lynn, and then you became the conscious, let's change this kind of mindset type of what was the moment was there was there like a definitive moment where you're like i don't think this is good for people or the environment like what what was the moment well actually um it was at the time of facebook's ipo mm. um this was may of 2012 um and facebook was just about to go public mm. um, i live in new york my grandmother lived in kuala lumpur malaysia that's mm -hmm. where i grew up and she was um, quite ill at the time, and the doctors um, said that she, you know, uh, she 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 will not um, survive for for much longer. Mm. So I wanted to go back um, to say goodbye and to spend some time with my family and to support them in in this difficult period. Mm. And it was a very small team because this was just after the last financial crisis, and so the teams within investment banking were very small. Essentially, mm. it was just me and another person. And the head of the, so I went to the head of the team and I said, look, I don't think my my grandmother will will, will live for much longer. I would like to go back and, and see her because I hadn't seen her for, for two years at that point in time. Yeah. And I was 
I was just said I was just told no. There was um, <laughs> barely a, a breath in between, just kind of no. <laughs> How does this help the bottom line? How does this increase the, the cash flow of the business? It yeah. doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so um, I was uh, I, I was said, well, no, the the Facebook is going to go public. It's going to go on the road, and we cannot risk this deal not being done properly mm. on our end uh, and so that was that was it there was there was no real discussion we didn't even think about oh who else within the team could possibly could possibly take over maybe cover for me in in a week or so that i would be away mm. it was just no and so i was left with that dilemma and decision of okay should i stay or or should i go and, and, and support my family it was very much conflicted because mm. i'm you know, I have a duty towards my work. I'm very, I was very proud of my work, and but uh, there's also my family, the duty to my family. I am quite close to my family, mm. and ultimately, I I stayed. I did not go back to Malaysia. I did not even go back uh, when she passed uh, for her funeral. Yeah. Facebook went public, um, and and that was it. No, no one asked me what happened uh, at the in, in my team. It was just business as usual, and when. You know, worked yeah. work continued as, as it was, and for a long time I I was disappointed in myself. I felt very guilty. I couldn't really talk about it because I was a I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was embarrassed to be honest mm. to talk about it. To the, the decision that I made that I sacrificed to a mm. certain extent. I sacrificed my family. Yeah. For work for the face uh, the the Facebook's IP or it sounds sounds really really quite terrible yeah um and that was when i started thinking okay where is this line really um we say that people are the most important assets in our business but but you know when it comes to it do we really take care of our people mm. uh, we don't see the impact of um business culture work culture uh on our employees on how we negotiate and work with our um, supply chain partners yeah. um, on our communities and on, on our consumers. Mm. Uh, we look only at the bottom line and the top line, how much, how fast are we growing in terms of sales? How fast are we going in terms of profits? But we don't really see, okay, okay how much carbon emissions um, uh, uh, does, a, does a company generate on an annual basis? Mm. What's the diversity policies in, in the company? These are mm. not mandatory reporting for companies at the moment. Mm -hmm. There are are companies, there are businesses that voluntarily disclose some of these metrics, but it's not mandatory as of yet. What yeah. is mandatory is purely financial. Yeah. Uh, and, and that that will change. I, I hope it will change and I predict it will change within mm. the next um let's say twenty-four to thirty-six, thirty-six months that these metrics will also become mandatory reporting and mm. that will really shift the conversation. Yeah. That will really change in which business think about how we support communities, how we support our employees, and how we govern businesses. Yeah, because I feel like it's one of those ones where most people, when they talk about their five-year plans, it's money-based, it's it's asset-based, it's this, it's that, but it's not like, do you know what? Our five-year plan is to have anybody that's employed now still be here in five years and be happy and to mm -hmm. have, you know, say 40 to 50% of the workforce be female and then another percentage be from different backgrounds and all this kind of stuff. But I feel like the kind of capitalist way is like, it's just a bunch of white old men all the way up to the top. And then it's just them bringing in their nephews or, you know, whoever their mate's son. And it just keeps going like that. And is that sustainable? Probably not. Because it's not representative of 
the society we live in or the innovations we've had in in the world that you know make the world a more inclusive place in general indeed sam yeah completely agree uh and i i think that is changing because these metrics that that uh, the world economic forum have um have proposed cover four different areas so that's in relation to people in relation to governance um so that could be okay what uh, ethics committees are being set up uh, as related to environment it's also related to things if um uh, metrics for the community mm. how much taxes are you paying yeah um in the country in which you operate because um there have been uh, lots of articles and lots of ink spilled over companies that are not paying taxes in the right way they're taking advantage of of certain tax jurisdictions yeah um how much are you investing in the communities that you are operating in? Mm -hmm. Are you actually um, doing research and investing in innovation that can help the local people, the, lo the local population? Mm. So the, these are some things that when it becomes mandatory reporting, yeah. companies have to then think more about, about where it is they invest their resources. And I think that um, that will really, again, shift it more, shift it away from the short term um, profits and sales um, to towards a more equitable way of, of operations. Yeah. So let's say the conversation is being started and the wheels are in motion, but what are the strategies that will innovate business going forward into the future? I am a big proponent and advocate of diversity and inclusion. I think having different voices at the table mm. um, that are heard is a way in which to, to bring innovation. And when you have also collaboration in different partnerships, so whether it's public and private partnerships, that could be um, larger corporations working with smaller corporations, but it's also working with nonprofits, working with government to solve complex problems. Mm -hmm. When you have the different skill sets, experience, knowledge, um, and backgrounds at the table, I think that's when uh, I think that's when innovation can happen. So that's diversity of organization, diversity of size, diversity in terms of color, gender, um, all of that. I I really believe that is um, when when innovation and creativity happens. Yeah. And, and not just tolerating our differences, mm. but accepting and celebrating that we are different um, and, and really listening to each other and respecting that. Yeah because I feel like at the moment what you tend to see happening is like big company collaborates with big company or big company buys smaller company and then that company disappears and then that's it but from what I'm understanding what you're saying it's like say there's a smaller company doing something quite niche that could benefit a bigger company if they work together then it makes a better product or a better experience for the end user mm -hmm. indeed yes and I was um and I actually did quite a bit of that when I was working at Adidas on innovation strategy. And so Adidas, as as you know, is a rather large uh, sneaker company yeah. because of sports products. Uh, and one of the strategy was to partner with smaller startups. Because mm. as large uh, and, and resourceful as, as Adidas is, you cannot have, you, you will not have deep knowledge in all areas of technology mm. and the best way to grow and the best way to innovate is really to partner yeah so for instance um the one i'm going to share is the adidas and Allbirds collaboration 10 years ago 20 years ago you wouldn't expect two companies 
catering to the same market, yeah. making similar products would work together. Mm. But that's exactly what they did. Adidas and Allbirds make make sneakers. They know that they're contributing to that um, to that landfill problem, yeah. uh, and that that problem is up. Uh, Three hundred million pairs of of shoes are discarded into landfills every year. So mm-hmm. it's every single American throwing a pair of sneakers into uh, into that landfill every year, and that just grows and grows. Yeah. So Adidas and Allbirds know that that that's a problem, uh, and they want to solve that. They want to reduce and mitigate that impact. Yeah. And so what they did was they said, all right, well, Allbirds very good in terms of very skilled in terms of biomaterial, yeah. creating materials that uh, are more sustainable for the environment. Mm. And what Adidas brought to the table, of course, is the scale of the business mm. as well as is the design skill set and, and knowledge. And so the two companies work together um, in order to come up with a prototype that from the conception, the production of the sneaker yeah. all the way to the end of the life of the sneaker would produce the lowest amount of carbon emissions. Mm. And that resulted in the uh, Futurecraft footprint um, shoe. Mm-hmm. And that has 2.94 kilograms of carbon emissions compared to 14 kilograms, which is the average footprint of a, a sneaker. Yeah. So I, I think there is more of a, let's grow the pie. Yeah. How can we win together rather than a dog-eat-dog world? If it's my win, it's your loss, uh, a win-lose situation. I think there's more of a collaborative approach now, yeah. uh, more openness and more transparency, because that's the only way in which we can grow mm. and which we can innovate together. Yeah. So it's that thing of companies doing well by doing good. Indeed. Yes. I, I very much believe that if you focus on creating a positive impact, if you focus on purpose, mm. then profits naturally follow. Mm. Because I don't think it it works the other way around if you focus on profits that you will create um positive impact mm. but if you naturally uh, but if you if you focus on creating a positive impact on the environment on on people growth naturally follows and i think that comes in a sustainable way mm. rather than something that that is um not sustainable by the devastation of the en- environment of the planet and also um just just exploiting people i think it it works a lot better if we focus on uh purpose purpose yeah. first yeah so the adidas and allbirds collab is an example of of that going really really well do you have any other examples of things you've worked on that have maybe not gone so well but you know the reason was because of things that you couldn't foresee at the time type thing of course i think there's always um in terms of collaboration hmm. <laughs> Uh, just like in any relationship, there will be things that happen in um, during during the the collaboration or during the relationship that you can't tell at, at the start. Mm. Could be a mismatch of values, mismatch of culture. Mm. Um, if you maintain that open communication and respect, I think some of these challenges can be resolved. Yeah. Um, I don't have one where it went terribly wrong. I have uh, examples um, where we had started we had started um, experimenting or we started conversations, but it didn't go further than, but further than that, because it was, we discovered that um, the values were different. The interests were, were, were not quite aligned. Right. And, and at that point, it's really better not to, not to pursue it any further. If you are not aligned in terms of um, what it is that you want to solve, yeah. uh, what values that you want to have, um, 
transparency again is very important if if one is very much focused on just growing the business and getting profits and getting higher sales mm. and another one's focus on well we actually want to create a positive impact to increase access of education for instance to this community then there's a mismatch yeah. of what the, the teams want to achieve mm. there does not need to be a match for skill sets or for knowledge but there should be a match in terms of the problems that you want to solve the values that that the two the two parties want to have and and so when there is a when there's such a mismatch in terms of that end goal yeah i think then the the collaboration of the partnership will not work okay so lynn how did you get into this position of becoming the the go-to person for these kind of mergers and collaborations because that's something that i'm always interested in is like you know you always when you grow up you hear about certain types of jobs you're oh policeman fireman nurse doctor lawyer this that whatever but to be someone who goes (laughs) you know what company a is a big company company b is a smaller company doing something quite special how do you become the person that gets brought in to bring these things together <laughs> that's a good question so i'm not sure i'm not i'm not sure if i set out uh i set out to be that person yeah uh, i've been very fortunate in my career and my professional life to have the different opportunities that i have yeah and so the first job that I got um, was as a lawyer, I was a corporate lawyer, I graduated from the University of Nottingham, practice law, and then decided to move into investment banking. So that's when I got my finance um, and, and business foundation mm. together with my legal background. Yeah. And then I also, uh, and then I worked in innovation. So I think perhaps a combination of these different experiences, yeah. experiences working in the US as mm. well as in, in Europe, I think have helped me to to have a more holistic view mm. of of how business works and what um uh and and how we can innovate and be be collaborative to solve problems together. Yeah. Fair enough. So it's it's one of those ones where it's, you have a unique set of skills and it's just this is how the cookies crumbled. It's just worked out this way. <laughs> type thing it indeed has worked out this way i mean it's quite funny when people ask me it's like oh how did you end up (laughs) doing that it's it's just i for me being curious and open to see what opportunities have come my way i haven't um i've not said no if if something has if something sounded interesting i didn't i didn't say no yeah i've always been quite curious to see what what comes up um, and I and so I think perhaps that has shaped how my career has turned out. Yeah, and and part of your career has involved writing your book. And I know we've spoken briefly about it kind of at the beginning, but I really want to kind of delve into the creation of the book. You know, why did you start the book? How was it writing the book? What were the type of things that you came across when you were writing a book that you didn't even realize you had to come across? Because that is something that everybody's book writing experience is completely different. Yeah, g- great question. Lots of questions in that. <laughs> it's an all-encompassing <laughs> question. I'm so sorry to throw that on you, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, um, the the book journey has been um, a lot more work, but also a lot more rewarding than I I had thought. Hmm. It started out during COVID because as as a as a founder of uh, Activate Network, and that's a program that that's an organization that works with companies. Um, to increase participation of women in senior le- leadership and, and in senior leadership and in technology roles. Right. 
And so when that happened, uh, when, when COVID happened, I wasn't able to do some of these programs because the programs are in conjunction, are done together with, with schools. When schools shut down, I was not able to continue with those programs. Right. So that freed up a little bit of time. Mm. Um, and and at that time, I thought, well, I don't have an excuse not to write a book anymore. Yeah. And the book that I was always going to write about was about how businesses c can be used as a force for good. Mm. I really wanted to share what I'd learned mm. since leaving investment banking about how business can be done differently. Mm. It's not just about growth, growth, and more growth. Yeah. Uh, we can use business as a, a vehicle in which we can really impact and change the lives of others. We can change the way we, we, we think about um, the way we think about capitalism yeah. and, and so this book was always going to be about leading purpose first mm -hmm. and thereby growing business yeah and so that that is kind of why i wrote the book is to inspire others to think about doing good through business you know it's a really fun journey i spoke to 50 odd corporate executives social entrepreneurs i spoke to investors i spoke to um, people in the nonprofit world as well yeah. and so it was quite a rewarding journey and gave me a lot of um a lot of hope and optimism to speak to them because they've uh even though it's a difficult journey mm -hmm. uh because i mean if you think about trying to solve the problem of the environment climate change it's yeah. a big issue yeah 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 but for for a lot of them, in fact, all of them, it's like if as long as we're moving in that right direction, yeah, as long as we're creating a little bit of impact, mm. that is what is important. And if all of us on the planet, yeah, seven billion people, if we all move in that same direction, we can make a big change. Yeah. And the quote I want to share here is, um, "Don't be afraid of work that does not end," because it's. As long as we can continue to make a dent on the problem, we are doing good. We do not need to solve all of it in one day or in one go. But as long as we chip at it every day, that's good enough. Yeah. Okay. And so that was kind of like the message of the book. But what was the process like of writing it? Because you said you had all this, not all this free time, but you had more free time during the pandemic. And <laughs> more free time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you decided, right, I'm finally going to sit down and write this. Did it all come out just like a stream of consciousness? Or were there moments where you were like, damn, why have I started writing this book? I've got like 50 pages. <laughs> I've basically made a booklet here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I was also, so this is this, the, the last I guess a bit of inspiration that made me, that led me to write the book was um, in February, uh, one of my friends said, hey, you know, I've got this publisher mm. you should speak to. And I think they will, they will be able to help you uh, write the book. Mm. And at that point in time, this was before the world shut down mm. uh, for the pandemic. And I thought, yeah, okay, at some point I will speak to them. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, 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 I filed it away because over the years I'd heard like, oh, Lynn, think about writing a book, but I never really thought about it seriously until yeah. let's say March of last year, March, April of last year. Mm. So with the help of this publisher, I, I called them out finally and I, I really liked them and really liked that process. I was able, they really helped me to go from uh, deriving the concept, putting a structure behind the book, editing it, mm. um, thinking about um, how uh, how to do the research, how to um, interview, how to market the book. Um, they really helped me throughout with that process. Mm. I think I would not be able to 
do it on my own or would have been a lot harder mm. had I self-published. So I'm quite grateful to New Degree Press yeah. um, who helped me from start to finish, from when the from the whole uh, defining the concept of the book to the publication and after. Yeah. So do you see yourself writing a second book? Obviously, if there's not, we hope there's not a second pandemic, but because you've got this first book out, are you kind of like feeding off that first book energy? Like, oh, I need a second book. You know what I mean? Let's make a trilogy of this. <laughs> wow. You went from second to trilogy. Yeah, I like well, that, Sam. <laughs> I, have to, I have to speak it into existence, you know? <laughs> I like that. I really like, I like that speak into existence. Um, so since probably publishing the book, I've also, because um, I really enjoy the process of writing now mm. i like consuming so doing the research yeah synthesizing it with what i know my personal knowledge and then sharing it out with with the world uh, i think that's a really uh, that's a good learning process mm -hmm. so i've continued with that writing journey where mm. i continue to publish on a weekly basis yeah i believe that i will write uh, i will write uh, another book mm. i don't know when that will be yeah but from how it's going so far with the writing journey of continuing to publish, yeah. I believe there will be a second book. I just can't say when or what it will be about. Okay, that's good. Where are you writing this? On a, on a blog or something like that? Yeah, I publish on Medium as well as my own. I, I also have like a newsletter okay. um, based on the people who have purchased the book. Yeah. So oh. I, 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 I write to them. Oh, nice. So Yeah, because I've seen a lot of people doing stuff like that where they would write on Medium for say like a year and then they'd go, okay, this one did good, that one did good, this one did good. And then they'll be like, right, I'm going to make a book where these are the three kind of turning points of the book. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like a good way to live test ideas or thoughts you, you have. Mm -hmm. Indeed, yeah. I, I also, it's uh, I, I use it also to highlight some of the good work that I see of people in the community, so social entrepreneurs mm. um, who, uh, you know, are doing things that perhaps are not being are flying under the radar. So I also use that platform hmm. to highlight some of the good things that they do. So I conduct interviews myself. Again, it's 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 a lot of fun for me to learn from different social entrepreneurs. Yeah, and what are some of the good things you see people doing? Out of curiosity. So uh, there is a, a a startup based in London actually called Pass P A Z, mm -hmm. uh, and what they do is they help. Um, refugees get gainful employment. Mm -hmm. They partner with other. Uh, they partner with corporates in order to match um, the refugees that have gone through their training programs, their tech training programs, yeah. into larger corporates uh, in in tech roles. Uh, and that is that is that is difficult work um, mm. because there's the whole inclusion and diversity piece that that you're talking about. Mm. Uh, and they've been flying under the radar for for a few years. So I, so I really respect what um, what the founder uh, is doing, Letty Galdon, mm. because uh, I mean, when she first started, she was in refugee camps. Um, she had to also work with um, some of the humanitarian organizations who were a little bit skeptical as to her intentions and what she was doing, but she just persevered. Yeah. And so I'm really inspired by by founders like her who uh, who just stick who just stick with it. They're so focused on creating the impact, on making a difference. Yeah. And and it's and she's just at the moment still flying under the radar. I don't think we we talk enough about um 
about some of the work um, about the, some of some of these types of startups in our community. Yeah, well, it's all about oh, big tech company going to grow to a million users in a week and then fifty million users in a month. It's all about that massive, massive scale rather than like the the, the work that this company is doing. It's taking people that were in a terrible situation and allowing them to have an opportunity to have a have a life in a in a better country, you know. And it's indeed it, that's the kind of things that we should highlight and celebrate, and more people should know about. But it it just you know once again it doesn't benefit the bottom line. So why are we bothering to talk about it? Type thing is what people say. Yeah, but it does benefit the bottom line in the end um, because think about it. Just just think about one refugee. If you help that person get gainful employment mm. um, instead of let's say working in um, in a restaurant mm. and this person is is, is probably uh, uh, used to be a professional in, in their home country but because of circumstances once they've you know moved to their new home country mm. um, they've had to learn a new language and, and get retrained so this so pass helps them get trained in particular tech roles mm -hmm. and then helps match them with with the with the company, right. so now they've got an increase in their employment, in gainful employment, in, in, increase in their in their earnings. That mm. can then help their family. Yeah. So think about the number of lives changed just from that one single refugee that that you help. Yeah. And that helps the economy, right? If that person uh, is able to um, have gainful employment, think about how that person then will help the uh, the local economy, the restaurants, the mm. the other businesses in which that person lives in but also for the company that employs the refugee yeah they have now increased their diversity within the team yeah the, open up the minds of the others in the team it probably also engages existing employees yeah oh i am working for a company that is truly caring of the community and and is interested in helping others mm. uh, and that ultimately leads to growth in the business because when employees are more engaged, employees perform better in mm. business as well. Yeah. Instead of just some, instead of just focus entirely on on the numbers all the time, I think when I know that if I'm if I'm working for a company that is purpose driven, I am happier and more engaged, and I perform better at my job yeah. compared to otherwise. So I think that ultimately leads to better business. Yeah. So when you're working for a company that's you're know, working for or with a company that's doing something sustainable or something that's got the future kind of embedded in it what part of that is bringing you joy apart from the fact that it has got a long future like what is the kind of day-to-day -day thing that you kind of go oh this is what I love about what I do so if I may rephrase the question is um what gets me excited um waking up on a on a daily basis yeah uh I guess for me it's the possibility of making a change even if the smallest change in one person's life to make things a little bit better yeah say so we don't have to save the whole world at once mm. um but just knowing that i have helped somebody um next to me to make that person's life better is is rewarding in itself yeah and not not just from a dollar <laughs> dollars and cents kind of perspective but really helping make make life better for another person yeah and what advice would you give to somebody who wants to get into your industry into this kind of sustainability social impact type space 
I would say don't limit it. I think sustainability and social impact is everywhere uh, around us. Uh, I So I work with students. Um, mm. I work with students and one of the recent programs that we had, one of the recent cohorts that we had was about potential uh, sustainability mm. uh, careers. Uh, and they went everything from, well, a teacher to a rubbish collector yeah. um, to a environmental engineer. So yeah. I think actually we can create impact in our own way, uh, in our in our own way, let's say, in, even in your existing team, mm. think about how you can make work more meaningful for those around you. How can you develop? How can you develop them into better professionals um, yeah. uh, into the long term? Because that already creates impact. Mm. Doesn't have to have a title of social impact manager or or sustainability manager um, in order for you to create a positive impact on the people around you or on the environment Mm. i think individually in our personal lives as well consider who we buy from consider who we work with consider who we invest in think of we all take responsibility and be more proactive and have more consciousness and awareness in terms of our decisions Mm. we are able to really shift the narrative and the story of how businesses operate yeah and you know that's your advice to getting into your industry but what is your kind of general life advice that you'd give to anybody and if you could like sum that up as some kind of motivational quote or a motivational speech what would that be lynn if you think you're too small to have an impact, try sleeping with a mosquito. That's a that's a quote that I, I quite like. I think no one is too small really to have an impact. Again, from an individual basis, consider when we are more aware and conscious in terms of where our products come from and business culture of the companies around us, um, we can make a difference. We can speak up, share with others what we have learned, educate ourselves and then share with others what we have learned so that we can move uh, and influence the way businesses are run. Where can the people find you online, Lynn? Where's the best place to find your book? Where's the best place to contact you online and read your blog and all this kind of stuff? So the best place to find me would be altruisticcapitalist.com. I am available at lynn, L-Y-N-N, at altruisticcapitalist.com. And from there, you can find my book and also get direct contact with me. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.